Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre, and today we have a great episode. I'm very happy to have on the podcast Wilbert Yen Derkinson. Wilbert Yen is a political researcher, works for the Telder Stitching or Teller Foundation in English, and we're going to talk about the article he wrote for the Elf publication Beyond Flat Earth, Conspiracy Theories versus European Liberals, with a title From UFOs to Conspiracy Entrepreneurialism. I'm very shady on this podcast, so fair warning right from the beginning, because I really, really care about this topic. Conspiracy theories, polarization, the future of political debate online. And it helps that Wilbert Yen has a great knowledge about this topic, not only in the United States, but also in Europe. So with no further ado, I bring you Wilbert Yen Darkinson. <laughs> I'm here with Wilbert Jan Derksen. Wilbert Jan, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Yeah, many thanks for the invitation. Oh, it's great to have you here. And uh, like I said, introduction, you have uh, an article from UFOs to Conspiracy Entrepreneurialism. <laughs> that, that's, that's a tough word to say. Uh, how conspiracy theories have infected politics in the United States. And this is, of course, in the ELF publication and our friends from Project Polska, Beyond Flat Earth, Conspiracy Theories versus European Liberals. But before we go into your very interesting article, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about the topic, I want you to introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners. So how did you get to this point here that we're talking now? As you said, I'm a political researcher working for the Telder Stichting. So the Telder Stichting is a uh, liberal think tank that is affiliated to the Dutch uh, Liberal Party, the PPD. There I conduct all sorts of different uh, researches. But my main research right now is about um, digitalization and its impact on society. Yeah, one of the topics we also talk about in that research is about disinformation and, of course, uh, conspiracies. So you've been having you've been having a lot of work then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to know more about your work. As we're getting into the end of uh, our conversation, I'm going to ask you to please tell our listeners where they can follow the work you're doing and the work of your uh, the foundation where you are. But let's dive into the article because I'm looking forward for it. It's a great article. First of all, congratulations, because you do go into a lot of historical detail and you create a narrative that is very easy to follow. I'm not, a good, I'm not going to go into those kind of historical moments and historical details because people can read it. I want to go into the core of some of your arguments. For example, you go into the concept of being an entrepreneur in conspiracies and that how that relates to then getting into a floating the zone strategy with conspiracy theories, disinformation, misinformation how to game algorithms and digital f platforms. So please tell us about what I'm going to jokingly say are these new startups on uh, conspiracies and misinformation. Yeah, so I think when we talk about conspiracy entrepreneurialism, we really have to look especially at one individual, and this is uh, Alex Jones and his uh, Infowars platform. So Alex Jones is an individual from the United States who has been basically uh, spreading conspiracies already since the late 90s but mainly around 9-11 he became a really like spokesperson for the conspiracy surrounding this uh, this event and this coincided with the growth of the internet as well so 
you see around that time that this Infowars platform of, of his uh, really starts growing up to the point where we have the American elections of 2016. Yeah, I think we should not underestimate the impact that he might have had on the outcome of that election because he really initiated a, a campaign like a, a support in support of Trump and attacking especially uh, Hillary Clinton. And this Infowars platform really receives like uh, millions of uh, visitors per month. But yeah, what is business model basically is because if you go to this uh, website, it, it seems like uh, uh, it pretends to be like a, a news website, of course, with a lot of uh, fake news mm -hmm. stories and conspiracy uh, theories around there. But all over the website, he is uh, advertising for, to buy uh, products in his website, vitality products, like really <laughs> random stuff, actually. Uh, but just to give you an idea, he is making like $20 million of uh, profit per month. So yeah, it's it's basically a, a web shop with issue, which is using conspiracy mm -hmm. theories to keep uh, people engaged and keep, keep them coming back to the website uh, and thereby being able to sell more products. But at the same time, poisoning the stream of not only political debate, but also from normal people living with each other because we do know and i'm quite sure you've been following this very closely there are more and more you know families that have people who are addicted almost like addicted to this and it can get to a breaking point where in families they outcast someone or someone outcasts themselves because there's no more communication going and this all leads to exactly infowars yeah exactly yeah so i think when you look at the United States, I think one of the main reasons why conspiracy theories are so um, present right now is also due to their political system, like they have a two-party system. And when you think about it, it makes a lot more sense to spread, spread conspiracy theories about your political opponents in that type of system, because you have only one enemy, let's say, to focus on. Whereas like in a multi-party system, like I'm from the Netherlands, we have like uh, mm -hmm. well, more than 20 uh, different parties uh, uh, contending for the elections. So then it's it's a lot harder to spread uh, conspiracy theories uh, about all of them, right? It's a lot less credible that you are the only one that is not corrupt and all of them, they are engaged in this big conspiracy. So uh, I think especially uh, those type of political systems uh, are mm -hmm. vulnerable vulnerable for these types of uh, political strategies. I'm going to follow up on what you're saying about the entrepreneur part of this, because like yourself, and personal note here, this is very interesting to me, and therefore I may be speaking a little more than I normally do on the podcast, but I, I talk with Will Bertian and he agree with this, because the other thing that we saw you know, you're talked about Alex Jones and the way that he made his little empire of lies and misinformation and conspiracy theories. And I was particularly interested in a similar phenomenon that also made a great, great impact, and particularly in this last election, and it still is making it the QAnons and, and Q itself. And mm. if, if, you, if you study Q, you do know that this is most probably just this obscure megalomaniac pornographer. He's an administra administrator of a mirror site with a message board, 8chan and then 4chan, 4chan and then 8chan and then 8kun. 
And this guy by itself created a following of millions of people that believe the most insane things like cabals of pedophiles and Satanists and how they control not only the United States, but the entire world. Wilbert Yan, help us understand how this, this thing just grows and, and establishes itself in this way. Like you said, how these theories are created, I think this is almost impossible to prevent because it happens on like the, the outskirts of the internet where uh, people enjoy anonymity and like these uh, message boards you were talking about, like 4chan. This is something I, I think we cannot do a lot about, but what we can do something about, and what is, which I think is the bigger problem, is the spread of these theories, which goes mostly through social media, because it are the, the algorithms of the social media which uh, have like an amplifying uh, effect mm -hmm. on these conspiracies. And this is the whole business model of uh, social media as well, to keep you engaged as long as possible, by uh, giving you the content more and more in a uh, uh, extreme form, let's say. So you click on one video mm -hmm. and maybe talking about uh, anti-lockdown uh, measures, and then you get recommended all types of other videos talking about uh, conspiracies. So in that way, you get sucked into this uh, uh, rabbit hole. That reminds me of uh, the Social Dilemma uh, documentary, I'm sure you know, where they explain that very, very well which is the, the, the idea is to have you on the platform so that they can sell advertisements. Yeah. And they do generate all kinds of juicy content to keep you uh, in the platform. But, but still on this, you said something really interesting, and that is it, it's probably impossible to stop this kind of system to function, but we can control it a little bit. Us as liberals, we do have this gray line which goes regulation. And for example, we have the Digital Services Act that is trying to get a little bit into that. But on the other hand, you know, people should be free to consume whatever, you know, they, they like to consume as crazy as it can be. Mm. So do you have a position of that? Because I do have a follow-up question on that. Yeah, so what I think the main problem we should focus on is this amplifying effects that these algorithms have and what is the policy right now is that these tech companies are self-regulating so they have introduced some measures like fact uh, checking for example but the most important uh, point in my view like the algorithms they are uh, not doing anything about that and that makes sense because it goes against their own business model so that's where really the you needs to step in to make uh, like regulations and to create transparency um, regarding these algorithms and on the other hand also to to educate citizens on how to be how to behave in like the di in digital space and how to arm themselves against disinformation how to recognize it and uh, mm -hmm. so i think those two measures can already help a lot to, to prevent the spread of these type of theories Indeed, that's a great, great point. But at a certain moment, we do need to have a red line. If you go into the liberal, class, classic liberal thought or even libertarian thought, it gets to a point that the thing will not work. I was talking with great, uh, actually, uh, someone from your country, um, our MEP, Lee Schreimacher, and I was, uh, she is in the European Parliament in the group that works mm -hmm. with, the, with the American government. And I was asking her, I was like, how can you have, you know, a normal 
working relationship between two blocks. If you have someone that was elected in Georgia, in the United States, and he's a QAnon believer, uh, how can we have a fruitful discussion and, 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 and fruitful negotiations into if you have someone saying, yeah, it's all a bunch of, you know, even in Europe you have stealing, there's children that is being stolen in England, there are problems in the Netherlands with anti-lockdowns, you know, you guys don't know what is really going on. How do you do this, Wilbert Jan? How, how do we discuss, you know, important topics with, with this kind of people? I think it's it's very difficult. I think, um, now of course, we need to establish what are the facts. Like there's something like alternative facts. It doesn't exist. There are only facts. So, so yeah, what these social media companies are doing right now with fact checking, I think, is a good uh, first step. But then we also need to break open these echo chambers and uh, prevent that people get sucked in these uh, rabbit holes and uh, start radicalizing in these ideas. Therefore, creating more polarization. And the more polarized the society is, the more they uh, go towards the fringes of the political spectrum. And that mm -hmm. is normally where, the, where these uh, conspiracies reside. You mentioned in your paper the fact that we live in a society where we are now in a post-truth era. And there is all this fake news and mm -hmm. everything is relative and... Everyone has their own uh, realities. And also, you were talking about polarization. That is one of the systems that is working on that one, which is the echo chambers. You just mentioned that a minute ago. So the question to you then is, how can we have a fruitful political debate when we have people living in completely different realities? Yeah, that is a good question. I think, it, again, it goes back to I mentioned before, so create more transparency about online uh, regarding these uh, conspiracy theories and on the other hand also educate the citizens on how to uh, recognize these uh, type of uh, theories and to learn them that you cannot believe everything you, you read on the internet. And I think when it comes to elections themselves, mm -hmm. like what you see, what you saw in America was pretty predictable that Trump was going to cause a fuss because of this um, voting per mill. So it is my opinion that, of course, I understand this in the context of the corona pandemic, they, they did this, but it is my opinion that we should just, whenever it's possible, stick to the most traditional basic form of uh, elections, which is just voting with a pencil in a, in a voting booth. So also not uh, like a digital mm -hmm. voting system. Because even when it's like a 100% safe, which, yeah, I don't think you can ever be sure about that. But even when it is, like only the illusion that something uh, happens, like, for example, somebody putting a USB stick in a computer and making a photo of it and then uh, posting it on social media, this can already be enough to undermine an mm -hmm. election result. Yeah, that's a great point. And actually, you, you guys in the Netherlands, you do have some experience with this. Yeah. Working for my uh, dissertation on my thesis, I did study that the Dutch government actually asked help for, with the Americans, which is funny <laughs> how things are. And you guys yeah. move from electronic voting to ballot uh, voting. Yeah, because we, uh, I think we had this system like uh, 20 years but then uh, somebody uh, revealed that it was possible to read out these systems from a distance. Uh, and there, 
you know, I think also it was vulnerable to fraud and the problem with electronic system is that you can also not uh, recount it. Like mm -hmm. you just get a number printed and, and that's it. So that's why we just went back to the, the, the red pencil, which I think is a, was a good idea. Yeah. As we record this, and I'm sure Wilbert Jan is also following this very closely, there is this wave of, in the United States, we'll try not to speak only about the United States, but there's this wave now on not only disputed states, but now even solid Republican states, where this is this hysteria that uh, there were problems with the elections and we need to have a, a fourth and a fifth and a sixth inspection of uh, electoral systems. It's The thing is going a little bit out of control. But let's drop that and let's talk about Trump. It's um, unavoidable, I would say, and also to understand this and, and try to anticipate the future. You do have a special interest in this, and particularly with the fact that the Trump presidency was just an accelerant for conspiracy theories. Go a little bit into that, please. Even the reason why uh, Trump went into politics like this was because of a conspiracy. Like uh, around 2011, there was this conspiracy about Obama uh, birth or certificate uh, conspiracy, like where they alleged that he was born abroad and not in the U.S. and therefore he was not eligible to serve as a, a president. And Trump sort of became a spokesperson for this movement. And yeah, this really gave him a lot of political popularity within the Republican Party. Yeah, in the end, he didn't run that year, but it was a... It revealed okay. to him the power that conspiracies have to, to gain uh, political popularity. So therefore, we see when he did run in the 2016 election, like this became an integral part of his political strategy, like to attack us, his political opponents with uh, conspiracy theories. And of course, around the same time, we see that uh, uh, Russians are starting to uh, mm -hmm. uh, engage in disinformation campaigns, like targeting uh, uh, American civilians, uh, also with uh, conspiracy theories bolstering Trump and attacking uh, Hillary Clinton. And we know now that uh, the Trump campaign also made use of the uh, Cambridge Analytica. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this company who basically made uh, political profiles of uh, American citizens using uh, user data and then uh, also uh, pointing out the people who they thought could be swayed towards the Trump vote and then bombarding them with disinformation. And of course, during uh, the entire Trump presidency, he was always attacking the traditional uh, media and thereby also encouraging people to, to yeah, do their own research and to just basically go online. And, and actually, the then-candidate Trump uh, spoke with Alex Jones and he praised his work. A guy that uh, he says that children that were killed in a school by a maniac yep. with a gun was was a false flag operation it's, it's that insane Wilbert Jan as we're getting to the end of our conversation and again there is so much to talk about that I'm going to ask you to yeah. please come back just your last two minutes open the door like Cambridge Analytica uh, the internet research agency in St. Petersburg just that will be a very interesting conversation to have as a follow-up but let's move then now a little bit into Europe. You do present in your article a couple of examples of similar dynamics here in Europe. So how do you think then this the thing will progress here in our side of the Atlantic and again, how to fight it? So I think what you 
see right now is that a lot of conspiracies that uh, originate from the US are also spawning right here, like uh, QAnon, for example. At least here in the Netherlands, there is a lot of uh, believers in that conspiracy right now as well. And I think that has a lot to do with that we as European citizens, we consume a lot of uh, American media, like, uh, of course, we have the Hollywood movies and, and uh, Netflix uh, documentaries. And like, at least in the Netherlands, the, the American election get more news coverage than the uh, elections of our neighboring countries. <laughs> so this is uh, one of the main reasons. And we see that this uh, example that we talked about of uh, conspiracy entrepreneurialism is also being copied, like exactly this made, is exactly this business model is being copied by uh, in individuals here in uh, Europe. Like here in the Netherlands, we have uh, one guy who is doing exactly the same thing as Alex Jones. Contributing factor is that we are also seeing that political polarization is increasing, like uh, also was the case in uh, the US. And I think like the COVID pandemic is uh, only uh, going to add to that. So yeah, what can be done about it? First of all, I think we really need, need to take it seriously. Like a lot of these conspiracies sound like it's so ridiculous that it's it's almost funny. But when you look at the impact they have on society, it's, it's quite serious. Like they really pose a security threat. Like there have been incidents in the past and uh, politicians getting uh, intimidated and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, like I said before, what I think is the main point with, that we need to do is to hold the social media companies responsible about this and to start really regulating them. And I think in that uh, case, the, or in that sense, the, uh, we can take a lot of inspiration, like how the EU did it with the GDPR, like really setting an example for the rest of the world. Uh, followed by uh, yeah imposing like serious uh, regulation i think those are the most important uh, things that we can do about this because it is expanding and they camouflate themselves uh, very easily so the the, the q anon and, and and not getting into a lot of details because it's going to extend the podcast way uh, above the time we have together but but q anon is also mm. um going into a change they're metamorphing and now it's save the children and just the other day in london and in paris i'm, I'm not sure about amsterdam but uh, i think also in madrid there were these rallies where people were saying we need to save the children the children are disappearing and they're being used for sexual deviancy this is all QAnon crap mm. that is in being injected in Europe. Mm -hmm. Now, my question to you is, of course, the number of followers, and you were just mentioning that Dutch gentleman that is, he wants to be Alex Jones of Europe. There are less adherents, so that is a positive. So the question is, are you afraid that even if there's not a lot of adherence to this kind of movement in Europe, this thing can start growing exponentially or do you think that we will always have the protection in Europe of people being smarter in this kind of analysis and not so prone to follow conspiracy theories? I think if we back it up with a good education and more uh, regulation this could be like an uh, important shield but like you said it's it's uh, mm -hmm. true that these conspiracy theories like always evolve and they 
add elements from other conspiracies, like uh, uh, like from uh, local contexts as well. Like even this QAnon conspiracy is basically a successor to the Pizzagate theory, which was uh, going around uh, the 2016 election. So yeah, it's important to always keep an eye on these on these type of conspiracy and see yeah their effects in society and and yeah possibly the security threats that that they can form. All things for us to keep following very closely and also follow your work. So as um, a final note, please tell our listeners where they can find your writing and your your thinking. You can go www.telderstichting dot nl yeah most of the content we produce is in dutch but occasionally we also produce uh, like uh, in collaboration with elf for example we also produce uh, english content so if anybody is interested uh, take a look on our website and are you on social networks and uh, fighting algorithms there <laughs> yeah yes yes we are uh, i believe the the name is also like Telder Stichting. Okay. Uh, we are on linkedin Twitter and Facebook. Wonderful. Well, anyway, I'm going to put all the links on the podcast show notes so that people can follow not only the foundation, but also yourself. And for now, mm -hmm. I'm going to thank you so much for coming to the podcast. But again, I promise our listeners that I will have you back to continue this conversation. But Wilbert, yeah, and this was a great pleasure. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast and talk to me. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. I'm uh, looking forward to, uh, to the next time. I'm back. Just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe Podcast, it's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.